This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, welcome to another edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. The Brooklyn Nets defeat the New York Knicks in a game they they should have won. They better have won, and thank God they did win, though I admit early on in this game when the Knicks had a 12-point lead and the Nets are turning the ball over every five seconds and you're envisioning a world without Spencer Didwitty and D'Angelo Russell gets off to a bad start and gets into foul trouble and Jared Allen gets into foul trouble and Rhodey gets, I think, into foul trouble. There were some thoughts early that this was not going to be a good night for me and my fellow Net fans. And that would have been disastrous. Let's be honest. I mean, to lose to the New York Knicks in your own building with as well as the Nets have played, I don't want to say it would have ruined everything that's happened the last few months because that's an overstatement, obviously. But it would have been very, very, very disappointing. And early on, I was a little pissed off at Sarah Kustak and Richard Jefferson and Ryan Rucco. And by the way, I'll do a lot on this game. I'm going to do a lot on Spencer Dinwiddie and what the Nets should do and a few thoughts on the Knicks. But when I have to hear the broadcast crew mocking the Knicks, you know, RJ's laughing that, hey, where are they they in the standings? They're not even on this page. I don't want to hear you mocking the team that you're about to play. Now, I'm not telling you they're going to jinx the Nets. I don't believe in jinxes. I don't get mad necessarily when an announcer talks about a no-hitter. If there's a no-hitter going on, you should talk about the no-hitter. So this has nothing to do with jinxes. It has to do with you playing the freaking team. Why mock them? Wait till it's a blowout like it turned out to be over the final six minutes of the game. When you're up by 17 with three minutes to go, when that's happening, when Mitchell Creek is entering the game, then go to town, mock the crap out of them. You're not going to have to play them again, or the Nets aren't going to have to play them again. But when I hear RJ, and I love RJ, and he had some good moments tonight, I'll go through a few of them. I don't want to hear him mocking the Knicks. And I'm telling you, it's not a jinx thing. It's a you're playing that team. You could lose thing, not because of a jinx, but because you play like crap. And early on, they played like crap. Let's be perfectly frank about that. They turned the ball over a lot early in this game. And the Knicks were hitting their shots to their credit. Frank Nilakina, I thought, came out and played really, really well. His length defensively forced a few turnovers. He actually hit a couple of mid-range jump shots. Frank played well, and what really slowed Frank down was the foul trouble. And you're going to hear me say foul trouble, foul trouble, foul trouble a lot during this podcast because they called everything. And... I don't necessarily think they were right on a half of the calls that they made. That's an exaggeration, but uh, how many ticky-tack fouls did they call in the first half of the game? And it did change the game. It hurt the Knicks big time with Frank going to the bench. It hurt the Nets with Jared Allen going to the bench and D'Angelo Russell going to the bench. And a lot of it was just completely unnecessary. And this has nothing to do with fouls. This is just bad officiating. How about the sequence? where 
they call a goaltending on Theo Pinson in what looked to be a clear, clean block. Pretty clear that it was a clean block. And then on the very next possession, Mitchell Robinson, who was impressive in this game, does commit a goaltend on a ball where it looks like it's coming down, and they call that a clean block. And to any Nick fan who's listening right now, I promise you, that was not me trying to bitch about the officials as far as a negative net pro Nick stance. I swear to God, I'm just giving you an example of bad officiating because I'm not bitching about the officials in that term. I'm bitching about the officials for all of us. If you were a Nick fan watching this game, I'm bitching for you too. It's not a net thing. It's an everybody thing. And what really saved the Nets as they were not hitting their shots, as they were turning the ball over, as defense was completely optional against the Knicks, there were a few things that saved them. Number one was Shabazz Napier. Even though Shabazz did not have an efficient night from the field, he was driving to the basket and he was getting to the free throw line. And in ways, it reminded you of Spencer Dinwiddie. One of the things I love about Spencer, and certainly he's played a lot of hero ball and he's had a ton of big threes this season, but Spencer can get to the basket whenever the hell he wants. And he's been drawing fouls. And I said that when he came on with us. I said, look, I think you're starting to get respect too. I think there are certain foul calls that you're getting. I don't even think they're legitimate fouls, but you're so aggressive You can get to the line whenever you want. You're getting free points out of it, and Shabazz Napier did that early. The other thing was Theo Pinson. And, I, I, you know, with Dinwiddie out, you could talk about the guys that are going to get opportunities, guys that are going to step up. And certainly Theo Pinson is a guy that was going to get more of an opportunity with Spencer Dinwiddie down. I don't necessarily think... that. And let me see how many minutes he ended up playing tonight. He ended up playing Theo 25 minutes. Theo Pinson ended up playing more minutes than D'Angelo Russell. Okay? That's not something any of us expected. In fact, I'm looking at the minutes leaders from this game. The minute leader was Joe Harris, who played 27 minutes. That's not a big surprise. Ed Davis played 27 minutes. I guess a mild surprise. But Theo got the opportunity mainly because D'Angelo Russell got into foul trouble. I think it was more that than even, well, Dinwiddie's not there. And Theo Pinson, who we've seen very little of, we've seen him mostly dance. That's who we've mostly seen from Theo Pinson. We've seen him dance. And Alan Williams, too, when he's been around. So we haven't seen Neo, uh, Theo, Theo Pinson perform at any kind of level. Look, I see his stats. We all see his Long Island Nets stats. They're very, very good. To average 25-5 and five on any level is impressive. But I think maybe I saw Theo Penson at one shot so far as a net, maybe two. I'm kind of being a dick. I'm sure he's hit a few more. But Theo Pinson checks in early second quarter. Kenny's running a unit of Shabazz, Theo, Hollis Jefferson, who returned, Damare Carroll, and Ed Davis. And Theo Pinson hit three threes in a row. And when he finally missed a three, and those threes kept him in the game because he was hitting them with them down nine, with them down 11. I never thought the Knicks were going to make this a 20-point game by any stretch, but, you know, when you're down 9, 11, 12, you're one bad run away from being down by 20. And Theo hit his threes during that stretch of the game to get him back within six, to get him back within five, and when he finally missed a three, he steals the offensive rebound and puts it back. 
So one of the reasons the Nets remained in this game despite the sloppy play, I mentioned Shabazz Napier. The other guy is Theo Pinson. And this is what I was talking about on the air on Friday. You know, we spent about five minutes opening up the show about the Dinwiddie injury, and Joe was cool. Joe's really getting into the Nets, by the way. I don't know if anybody could tell. It was funny, during the Andrew Russell interview, you know, usually when we have Net guys on, Joe will give me a signal like, hey, you know, bro, you, you could ask some more questions. He was into it. And Joe is a good fan in that when the Knicks suck or the Rangers suck, but the Islanders or Nets are successful, he gets into them. He doesn't root against them, and he'll actually watch the games. So Joe, I thought, was being genuine when he said, bro, I feel bad for you. Dinwiddie's out. He's your guy. And look, obviously, I love Spencer. He's basically become my favorite player on this team. But this is about guys stepping up. This is the NBA. This is a freaking man's league, okay? I just saw what happened in Indiana with Victor Oladipo. We saw what happened with Karis LeVert. We see what's happening in Houston where Chris Paul's missed so much time and Clint Capella's missed so much time. And we see what's going on with the Lakers. And the Celtics had their injuries last year and still got to an Eastern Conference Finals. Guys got to step up. So, sure, it sucks, the whole Spencer Dinwiddie situation. But guys need to step up. The Nets are here where they are because guys have stepped up. Alan Crabb was supposed to be a big part of this team. This guy was starting earlier in this season, but guys have stepped up. RHJ has had an injury every other freaking day. Guys have stepped up. Jared Dudley goes down. Guys have stepped up. All right? So we can sit here all day feeling bad about it, but the truth is guys need to step up. And what I loved about this game tonight, despite the fact the Knicks are absolutely pathetic and what they've done to Cantor is a joke, which I'll get to, is the guys that they needed to have step, have step up, stepped up, specifically Shabazz, specifically Theo Pinson. And the other guy who stepped up tonight was Ed Davis. Ed Davis was an absolute beast on the glass. He has been such an important signing, an underrated signing by Sean Marks. But tonight, he took advantage of this New York Knicks team and pushed them around, just killed them on the offensive glass. And you saw the chemistry that Shabazz and Ed Davis have from their time playing together, which makes sense. Second half, you saw them on the pick and roll. You saw them kind of have a vibe together. But Ed Davis was awesome. And this net bench, which you figured would take a hit with Dinwiddie being out, they scored 42 of their 60 points in the first half. And if you look overall, the Nets ended up putting up 109 in this game. How much of it came from their bench? I think their three leading scorers were all off their bench. Shabazz, Ed Davis, Theo Pinson. That was basically the big three tonight. And I thought Hollis Jefferson played well, too. I want to give him some love. And he got bloodied up late in the game when him and Noah Von Lake collided. By the way, you know, and I heard Kenny say this to Francesa when he was on about how they decide sometimes to give guys threes who aren't great shooters. Noah Vonley, who I'm a fan of, and I'd love to see the Nets pull a deal off for him. This guy shoots at 40% from three. Why the hell were they giving him open threes to start the game? This guy doesn't shoot 28%. I get it with Mo Bamba. I understand that. I didn't necessarily get it with Noah Vonley. Let me get the canter. I know a lot of Nick fans want to lose all of their games. Okay, and I'm not here to judge that. Uh, I've experienced the 70 loss season, so I say from experience what I did, but I'm not going to judge Giannotti who wants to lose every game or Carlin who says they should lose every game and, and the diehard Nick fans that want to lose every game. I completely get that. 
All right, and if that's your right as a fan and your view to believe that and think that. Should an organization lose on purpose? No, but I understand saying, hey, we want to give young guys a shot. Mitchell Robinson got big minutes tonight, and you can see the potential that Mitchell Robinson has. The guy can be a really good rim protector. He's got the length. He's got the size. If the guy could ever develop any type of jump shot, just a little bit of that, he can really develop into a good all-around player. And we saw Mitchell get 15 minutes tonight, 18 minutes tonight, whatever it was. Ennis Cantor owns the Nets. Okay, I know that as a Net fan. I think every Net fan knows that. Ennis Cantor bitches out the Nets every time he sees them. Ed Davis is assaulting the Knicks on the glass. The Nets tonight had 18 offensive rebounds. The Knicks had six. They were going small with Von Ley at center. How is tonight a night where you don't play Ennis Cantor? You are clearly trying to lose if you don't play Ennis Cantor tonight. If I'm Ennis Cantor, I am more pissed off about tonight than I am with the Rockets. Because from a strategic standpoint, you could understand why they didn't want to play Cantor against the Rockets. It actually made sense. I could argue it from a strategic standpoint with how many pick and rolls the Rockets run, how they would just abuse him defensively. Tonight, you're bleeding. The Knicks are bleeding. They're in this game because how many times did Ed Davis not only grab an offensive rebound, but just keep a, a possession alive? And not just him. Hollis Jefferson, other guys. And Ennis Cantor would have done a fairly good job of stopping that. I think this is a different basketball game if Ennis Cantor plays. And the whole contradiction... And this is up for the Nick fan. I understand that this season is a lost season. And you look at Kevin Knox and you look at Mitchell Robinson and maybe you look at Alonzo Trier to go with whoever you draft with Kristaps Porzingis. I don't necessarily think the Knicks have a bad future. They can have a really good future if Porzingis can come back healthy and if they can get it right in the draft. I totally get that. And I'm not saying they're doing anything necessarily the wrong way. I, I just find it hypocritical when GMs and coaches and managers talk about the culture and learning how to win and then you get that crap that we saw tonight where Ennis Cantor not playing contributed big time to the Knicks not winning this game tonight I mean it is unarguable that Ennis Cantor would have helped the Knicks and I'm glad he didn't play I'm a net fan this podcast is right now more focused on the Nets. When I go on the fan, I'll talk about it from a Nick perspective, and we could debate all day the fact that they didn't put Cantor out there. I'm glad they didn't put Cantor out there. But my God, I mean, it's it's obvious what's going on. I'm trying to think if there's anything else from this game to hit on. Oh, you know what? The Nets won a basketball game as bad as the Knicks are, and I get it. They're playing an awful team. This is like beating Atlanta. It's like beating Chicago. It's beating a team you're supposed to beat. Totally get that. They won a game in which the two-headed snake did nothing. One of the heads of the snake is hurt, and the other head of the snake, D'Angelo, didn't really do anything until the fourth quarter of this game. And he actually performed in the fourth quarter. He had a step-back three over Kevin Knox. That was his first three of the game. Early on, he wasn't just missing his shots. He was sloppy. He was turning the ball over. It was a very all-star-like effort by D'Angelo Russell. But I find this encouraging that even against a, a very bad basketball team, and I, I guess I have to mention that every five minutes just to 
not overhype what they did tonight. That's why I'm doing it. I'm not trying to rip the Knicks. I'm just trying to make it clear that while I'm complimenting a lot of things that happened tonight, I understand who the competition was. They got very little to nothing out of a foul trouble D'Angelo Russell. They got very little and nothing out of Jared Allen, who got into foul trouble early and then never played much because Ed Davis was so good. Ed Davis just said, you're not coming back in this game. And as we know, Kenny doesn't play them together. Radonius Karutz didn't play all that much. So your starting five gave you nothing. Your starting five gave you 37 points. 37 points. Noah Von Ley by himself got the next 22 points. They won this game because of Theo Pinson, because of the monstrous performance by Ed Davis, and because of Shabazz Napier, and because the Knicks nicked. I understand that. But it's a good win. It's a good win because when you lose a key player, you always worry, or at least I worry, about what's going to happen that next day. We saw that with the Karis LeVert injury. And I want to address Spencer Dinwiddie and really what the plan should be. The Nets are 27-23. and 23. They have played 50 games. They are 27 and 23. They are 19 and 5 in their last 24 games, which is just in freaking sane. And I acknowledge the insanity of it. This run has been remarkable in many, many ways. They have to be smart now with Spencer Dinwiddie. And I'm going to tell you my first gut reaction of what I would do. Right now, as I record this podcast, and I think so if you listen to this, uh, probably within 48 hours of me recording this, I don't think anything will have changed too much with the Dinwiddie situation, which is basically he needs surgery on his thumb. And it's just a matter of does he want to play with the pain? Will it affect his play? But eventually he needs surgery. I lean towards surgery, and I say that with hesitation because I get that surgery is a big deal, but I also know he's got to have it eventually. This is not elective surgery. This is not something he's choosing to do. He's got to have it at some point. Now, everything I've read is that it is a four- to six-week recovery period, and I can't believe what I'm about to utter next because I never thought I would say this. The Nets are sort of in a really good spot to make the postseason. And what I mean by that is they're the sixth seed. If you look at the bottom of this Eastern Conference, and that is Detroit and Washington and Orlando, they have opened themselves up a four-and-a-half game lead over a playoff spot, which in the NBA is a big lead. In baseball, you hear four-and-a-half games, and you know you could kind of erase that in a very short period of time. I don't think over the next four to six weeks you're in a position where Losing Spencer Dinwiddie is going to kill you. There are enough games on this schedule where you should win. Now, I get it. Monday night in Boston, are you winning that game? Probably not. Thursday night in San Antonio, are you winning that game? Probably not. Are you going to win all the home games against Milwaukee and Denver? Probably not. They have to go to Toronto early February. There are a lot of games they're not going to win on this schedule. I get that, especially if they're not at full strength. But there are enough games to where they should avoid any kind of collapse. They're in a good position to make the postseason. If I could get this cleaned up and not have to worry every game, and Spencer has to worry every game about how this is going to affect him, then I think you got to be smart about it. you got to be prudent about it. And for that reason, I would lean towards him having the surgery. 
I think it makes the most sense to just have it and have him come back. Now, think about this. Four to six weeks. Well, what is about six weeks from now? Six weeks from now coincides with that mega trip that they have, the seven-game road trip that will take them to Oklahoma City, Utah, the Clippers, the Kings, the Lakers, Portland, and then capped off in Philadelphia. And then, oh, by the way, when they come home, they play Boston, Milwaukee, Toronto, go to Milwaukee, go to Indiana before they wrap up the season at home against Miami. It's a brutal stretch of games. What I want is I want to be healthy by March 15th. That's the goal, to be healthy by March 15th. So I think you can take this period of time, late January, all of February, the first part of March, and be conservative. Take your time with Karis LeVert. Take your time even with Alan Crabb, though we forget about his existence, and be smart with Spencer Dinwiddie. Now, is there a concern that, sure, it's four to six weeks, Evan, but is he just going to be right back and ready to go after four to six weeks? I get that. That's why four to six weeks leads you towards March 15th. That's not April 15th. That gives him a month before the playoffs start. Now, I'm not trying to get cocky to say they're a lock to make the playoffs. I know they're not in a lock, but they're in a good position. Look, I also also have to acknowledge that I don't know what the risks are by playing through it. I don't know what the long-term ramifications are playing through it. Spencer Dinwiddie's a tough guy. He's waited his whole career for a moment like this to not only be on a team that can make the playoffs, but to be a key factor on a team that, make, that can make the playoffs. So I get him saying, hey, Blanket, I'll hold off the surgery until May. I'll hold off the surgery until the Nets are eliminated. I get that. I'm just giving you the, the gut initial feeling is have the surgery and let's get the band together by March 15th. And that band includes Karis LeVert, who... Think about this. They're 19-5 and five over 24 games. Karis LeVert hasn't been a part of it. I'm pinching myself over this basketball team. And I'm not even talking myself into, now we're getting a big free agent. I'm not even thinking about that. I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking about this moment. They're 19-5. and five. The Knicks, during their ridiculous year of 2013, when they won 54 games, their biggest stretch was 18-5. and five. I remember that's how they started their year, 18-5. and five. And sure, they had some incredible wins during that stretch. I remember that game in San Antonio that came back against the Spurs. They went 18-5 and five to start the year. They cruised to the 53 or 54. I forget the exact number. This team is now one up that. They're 19-5. And, and I know it will slow down. It probably slows down Monday in Boston. But if you're a Net fan, take the next couple of days and pinch yourself because this is just remarkable. <sighs> Excuse me. I'm just I'm I'm enjoying the remnants of beating the New York Knicks. Cause it's fun. I don't care how crappy they are, beating the New York Knicks, that's a good time. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Evan Roberts Podcast. Right after the Royal Rumble, I'll give you an instant reaction to the Royal Rumble. So stay tuned for that. In the archives, me and Brian Monzo of uh, Mike's On previewed the Royal Rumble, so we have that in the archives, amongst other things. Thanks for listening. Saturday, 10 a.m., Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. See you later.